This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Mikey Robbins, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you so much, Cheryl. Lovely to be here. Yeah, I mean, do you know, <laughs> I say this a lot to writers, but I'm always so excited about speaking with um, with various authors, but particularly yourself, because I listen to you every morning for what? How many years was it? it was five, you're talking about the Triple J years of yes. my career. Um, it was yes. five years with Helen, then another two years with Paul, the Sandman and Jen. And by that stage, I was 38, and I realised at 38, you were too old to be doing the breakfast show on Triple J. Mm. Plus, I'd lived through two Scar revivals, two Scar music mm. revivals, so it was time to go. Mm. Do you know, I think when you, I think it must have been just you and Helen, and then when you guys uh, finished up, I then went over to 702. Well, it's called growing up. It is. <laughs> I mean, like, like it's, it's funny, people say to me today, because I am very closely associated with Triple J, so did you listen to the Jays? I went... I'm in my 50s. Yeah. I, 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 you just don't do that. In fact, I listen to news radio a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I've, right. I've reached that age. Do you know I'm, I'm nervous about news radio because my mother listens to that. See, that's one of us. One of us, Cheryl. Because <laughs> once you cross over, there's no going. Next thing you know, you'll be wearing track pants to the shops. Uh, no, know? I'm not quite there yet. But do you reckon, uh, yeah, there is a cutoff for 702. I hadn't thought about that. What's, well, no, no, I still listen to 702. But then again, I'm, I'm looking at my mother mobile phone right now. I've got like 3,000 radio stations in my phone. Wow. Yeah, various apps. One station I particularly like to listen to is uh, a punk, a 60s punk rock station. I'm not, they come through a time war, but they play sort of <laughs> 60s punk rock. Comes out of Detroit in America. Wow. I mean, the, the, that's the thing. It, there's just so much choice out there at the moment when it, it comes to, to music. Do you know, I mean, I'm going to introduce you in a sec because there might be a few people out there that don't know you. Not many, but a few. Mm-hmm. Um, but radio, what I love about radio is the intimacy. It's, um, I've always maintained that the thing about radio, is it says he leaning into the microphone now, it's a very intimate connection it is. with uh, with your listener, and I always used to maintain that the first job of a radio presenter was to be good company. Yeah. Now, if your if your job was to inform, information was second. If your job was like m- mine to entertain, that came second. The first job was to just be company, and then you, oh, I like that. Then you built from that. Yeah, and also to you, know, you say it's the, it is the most immediate of all of all medium. You get an idea, you say it, it goes up the stick, it's gone. People listen yeah. to it, and then you move on. TV, you need more people around you. It takes longer to get a show recorded, get it up, and blah blah blah. And then the stand up takes a while to write a show. Then you go out and you tour. I mean, you can improvise on stage, but you know. So I, I feel like in my career, I've been moving more and more, and so I said. Why don't I do the most emotionally frustrating thing of all time and write a book? Mm, mm, it is. And also, the, it's not immediate, but I want to talk about that. Oh, yeah. 
Mikey was born in Newcastle. Hello. Um, and he's one of Australia's best loved comedians and broadcasters. Thank and you. I absolutely, hand on my heart, agree with that. Oh, that's very nice of you. He graduated from the University of Newcastle with a degree in English and drama and spent years as the host of Triple J's National Breakfast Show before appearing as a team leader on the smash hit TV series Good News Week, which I must confess I didn't watch. I don't have a television. Are you one of those people? Oh, I just never got around yeah, to getting yeah, one. You're, you're one of those worthy people. Yeah, no, 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 it's not for no reason. I watch stuff on Netflix, but the television just seems like a hassle for me. Oh, see, I, I actually love telly. Yeah, I mean, and we are going through a golden period of TV at the moment. But you can get that. I mean, I watch oh, yeah. iView. Oh, I watch well, yeah. Well, then you watch television. I do. It's just not I called do. television anymore. That's right, that's right. But I somehow miss Good News Week. I don't know where I was. Mikey has also written extensively for the Daily Telegraph, GQ and Men's Style and has co-authored the books Three Bears and a Chinese Meal with Helen Razor, which I read a few years back. I've, I've actually found my copy when I moved house last a few uh, a few months ago. Yeah, yeah. it was. Um, I remember that very clearly and I think Jane Polferman published it. Yes, Jane did. Hi, Jane. There we go. Hi, Jane. Um, and Big Man's World with Tony Squires and Steve Abbott. I'm having lunch with Tony after once, once we finish the day. Oh, are you? Yeah. There you go. Lucky. Uh, Mikey's latest book is Seven Deadly Sins and Seven Deadly Sins and One Very Naughty Fruit, a fascinating and funny journey through, through the history of food via the Seven De Deadly Sins. And as Mikey uncovers some of the most bizarre food-related stories and culinary oddities of all time, he also unearths and explores our wildest desires, darkest fears and guiltiest pleasures. Now, I'm just going to start with just that first paragraph in your intro. Of course. Because uh, having grown up Catholic, I kind of can uh, relate to it, even though I'm an atheist now. Hi, my name is Mikey Robbins. So this is out of the book. As I said, it's called Seven Deadly Sins and One Very Naughty Fruit. Um, and it's really a candid history of food and eating. Hi, my name is Mikey Robbins. And I can start off by saying I am not a historian, nor am I a chef, and I'm definitely not a theologian. But I was once a fat Catholic, <laughs> a 10-year-old whose only two regular appointments outside of school were mass on Sunday and a Weight Watchers meeting on Wednesday. So I got indoctrin indoctrinated into associating pleasure with guilt from a very early age. Yeah. That's just, that's just given me goosebumps. Oh, really? Uh, well, it's very honest. Well, well it is. And, and I don't want people to think that this book is autobiographical. There are some autobiographical stories in it. But what it did was it, it did really, I suppose there's that sense of, of, of food, particularly in a large Catholic family, large Irish Catholic family, food is a sense of community. Um, the, the, the mass, of course, which has the communion wafer. Um, then also to just the sheer history of you know, the Catholic Church and, and, and the weight of history you feel as a, as a young Catholic. It all sort of gets merged in together. So by the time I was a, a grown-up, I was a history nerd, um, a food lover, mm -hmm. and um, also to uh, just through my work, an observer of uh, bizarre human behaviour. And it took me till a couple of years ago to figure out maybe I should combine all three, mm -hmm. which is what the book's about. I've got, you know, I mean, this is um, this is a podcast, uh, so I'm just going to describe how beautiful and elaborate that cover is. It's isn't stunning. It? It's a it's a it's, it's, a, it's a hardcover book. It's got a dust jacket. I know. I was, I, you know, I was, I was so excited when I found out I was getting a dust jacket. I mean, I, I'm 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 such a child. 
Um, now, because you're probably better at this than I am, can you de- describe the cover? I mean, you're better at radio and visualisation, well, I, I guess. It's, it's actually a, a late 16th century painting by Archimboldo, Giuseppe Archimboldo. It, um, it's actually of, 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 I think it's the Holy Roman Emperor at the time, Rudolf II. But what you, the way it's been painted, it's, it's almost like a cornucopia of fruit and grains and, and, and flowers that they've used to construct the face. So you see this chubby-cheeked man with, with, with pomegranates for cheeks and a small pear for a nose and, and barley for a beard. And, and it's luscious. It's luscious. And, he, and the weird thing is we showed it to my 17-year-old nephew and he, he thought it was me and we'd used an app. Oh, <laughs> and so I said, hey, and, and you know, what? I must have. And I went, oh yeah, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a chubby chap. Uh, but yeah, the, I, I have to, I have to confess when I when they showed me what the cover was going to be, I was blown away. Yeah, and because um, I think they nailed it actually. I, I think they did too. I, I, yeah. I think it's exceptional, and also too. Then when they told me that, that there were going to be glossy pictures inside, yeah, that was very exciting. And they, in fact, myself and the editor Brandon. Um, went, oh. I love Brandon. He's great, isn't he? Van over. Yeah. Yeah, he's um he um he he and I sort of got <laughs> we bonded over a few shared obsessions. Mm. The last thing we found out was we, we we both like um post bebop jazz. Wow. Yeah, there we, you we're, go. we're sort of Mingus and Coltrane notes. But uh, so Brandon and I I think it's about sixteen pages of, of, of gorgeous glossy illustrations, everything from um, medieval woodcuts to uh, Roman emperors. Right Right through for the pattern for the yeah, bendy, I saw the that. pattern for the bendy straw. Um, so let's talk about food because sure. um, you're saying you came from an Irish Catholic family. Mm-hmm. I come from a Lebanese Maronite Catholic family. Yeah, pretty um, similar. Lebanese, I mean, life is food. Food is life, life you is know. Food. Yeah. Um, and we sat down and had a family meal every single day. My mother intricately. It, you know, the things that she cooked for us, the parsley she picked, oh, the vine leaves she no, rolled, you no, know. No, and no. so... <laughs> see, see, no, 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 bless, no. You see, I, I, I would dream about that. Um, I came from a family, I mean, large family barbecues. But, but dining at home was, if it couldn't be cooked in a sunbeam, electric fry pan, it wasn't cooked. Um, and my mother was a wonderful woman. She's a very intelligent woman. She had, and, but she was not a great food lover. Mm. Um, I, I, in fact, I, I discuss how her life changed. And I think a lot of women of her generation, a lot of children of my generation will remember this particular period in the 60s when um, French onion soup mix turned up. Mm. And it went from just being a hot cup of French onion soup to you can mix it with sour cream and make a Have dip. a dip with jets. With jets. And then the other one, and I still think this is probably the most iconic 70s meal. In fact, I do discuss it in the book, is um, apricot chicken. Oh. Yeah, you remember it? Yeah. Oh, God, do I remember Mother'd it. Mum would buy a couple of chicken marylands, she'd fry them off in a pan, mm. then do glaze, I believe it was called, with apricot juice mm. and a packet of French onion uh, soup and then s- s- sour cream. She'd mix it up and then put it back in and it would be served with buttered noodles because noodles... Fancy. Well, yeah, well, it was fancy. And also, you have to remember that the pasta wasn't called pasta until around about 1982 in Australia in some parts. Right? It was just noodles. I grew up thinking that was noodles. 
Well, we used, to say, we used to say spaghetti noodles. There you go. Can I tell you a food story? Yeah, sure. So I grew up eating the finest food you could find. I could, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm getting that feeling. Yeah, so it was baba khanouj, it was tabbouleh, it was oh. kabir, it's whatever. But, you know, my mother was so... You make so, me angry. My mother was so open-minded and so willing. We grew up in Glebe, in inner city, oh, inner nice. city Glebe. And... Um, she, we own the corner shop, and uh, but my mother really. Did you live above the shop? Yeah, we lived above. You're the whole nine. You're the whole nine yards of, yeah. of, 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 the, of the immigrant experience in inner city Australia. That's me. You have, you have so much heritage. <laughs> so much. So much wonderful heritage. But she, so we had these, you know, extraordinary family meals every night. But she wanted us to integrate. She wanted us to meet them neighbours. Anyway, I was invited for a sleepover, and in, in, and looking back, it was this beautiful house in Glebe, and I was so excited about it. And then we walked into this big dining room that seemed so, you know, because we mm. were in a two bedroom shop, yeah, you know, and, and six kids and two adults. But anyway, and I go in there and I sit down and I'm so excited about this meal and out comes in a bowl chicken noodle soup in a packet and I started to cry and they rang my mother. <laughs> what was making you cry? Was it a... Uh, because I couldn't eat it. Oh, of course not. Well, it didn't, it wasn't food. Well, there wasn't real chicken in it. See, I, I was brought up on that sort of food. Um, I'll never get going to, when I was about... 12 going to a friend's place and they had far more sophisticated palates than we had and they're having a dinner party and for some reason I was allowed to sit with the grown-ups myself and, and uh, my mate and that's another story sitting with the grown-ups and, well, <laughs> and an avocado came out and I went what is this <laughs> yeah you guess you young millennials when I smashed them and not getting mortgages I actually looked at them and, and I had to, and eventually the, my friend's mother showed me how to eat it yeah. And um, I'd never seen anything like that. But I think food is formative. It's like music and books. Like, mm. you know, you remember when you first tasted an avocado. You remember, you know, it's like music. It yeah. takes you back to that moment, doesn't it? It does. In fact, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of chefs that believe that, um, that, that cooking is trying to recapture primary memories. I, and particularly smells. Uh, there are certain dishes when I smell, if I smell them being cooked, I'm taken back to a place. You know, if, even to this day, if I smell uh, onions cooking on a barbecue, I'm at my grandparents' house. Yeah, wow. And it, it just happens like that. Um, Still love a sausage sizzle. I, I love yeah. a sausage. This is the only reason I vote. <laughs> It's the only reason I go to Bunnings. Yeah, true. true. I don't know what I'm doing there. No. I, just, I just wait for my wife to point at things and then I go and get them. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so tell me, yeah. um, I Julia Child, right? Yeah, that uh, was that film out recently. Great, what was it? Uh, uh, Julia was and it? Julia. Julia and Julia. Julia and Julia, yeah, with Amy Adams and Meryl yes. Streep playing Julia Child. And I remember thinking at the time... I, 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 and I, I then read an opinion piece about it as well, but I did think, I did have the idea before the opinion piece. I always felt that people that don't have a love or a passion for food were people that don't have a love or passion for life. See, I would say that as well, but then again, when I was researching this book, Shelley is one of my favourite poets. Yes. Shelley was so, obs when Shelley had no, no love of food. I, I, I write about wow. this. He would actually, when when he was you know, consumed by writing, his wife would send meals in and he'd forget to have them. He would quite often say, darling, have I eaten today? And, wow. and, and he, 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 he thought um, he thought puddings were like the downfall of Western culture. He liked his food to be as plain and as bland as possible. He went to Italy and wrote, a, I think it was a letter back to um, his cousin saying, 
It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful city, but the women eat garlic. For some reason, he didn't mind the fact that men ate garlic, but the women eat garlic. <laughs> and this, this deeply offended him for some reason. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So what did you discover? Tell me about so, the book. So many things. Um, okay. I'll, I'll tell you the story of where it started from. Mm-hmm. And it happened many years ago. I was reading a biography of Escoffier, the French chef. As you do. As you do. <laughs> and... That's what got me interested in the Franco-Prussian War. Now, the Franco-Prussian War, for history nerds, is one of those wars that set up a lot of the conflicts that that then resonated through the 20th century. Okay, here's the food bit. At the height of the siege of Paris, Vosson's Bistro, Bistro Vosson, had been booked out by a bunch of French officers for a Christmas feast. By this stage, the people of Paris were starving, absolutely Mm -hmm. starving. What happened was, and it's a very bleak story, and it deals and deals a lot with what we think as food taboos. It deals a lot with prestige, and with just being a bit wanky. An unscrupulous butcher bought a bunch of animals that the Tuileries Zoo couldn't keep alive, and it put on a feast. So this bistro put on a feast at the height on Christmas Day, at the height of the of the siege of Paris and the Franco. Prussian War, it starts off with watercress salad. Sounds watercress and, and anchovies and butter. Sounds fine. It then disappears into bear claws cooked in a, in a such and such sauce. Yes, I know you're grimacing. Uh, camel cooked in the English style. Um, antelope terrine. And, what, and, so, and this is what got me thinking about it. I think, of course we grimace, but then again, other cultures around the world eat these animals, and I've eaten camel myself eat them without impropriety. But what makes it bizarre is the way they try and force feed a European cooking tradition Mm. into these. And it just got me thinking about food and history and and the fact that, yes, sometimes we define history in the great battles and the great And our relationship with food. Our relationship with food. And also, too, how our relationship with food shows who we are, what we value. Yeah. Um, um, but Severon, the, the great writer, said, show me what a man eats and I'll show you who the man is. Mm. And how we use it to define ourselves and how we use it to, like when I say the sins, how we use it to seduce, how we use it, how we use food to to show, to show our status, how we uh, use food to profit, um, how we use food to, to go to war, um, how much effort we put into preparing food. And so there's so, so many as, um, sort of, parts of human behaviour that relate to food and food preparation, that's where 
thing. It's I did, a large part of our life. It's such a large part of our life. But then I had to pare it down too because me being me, there's a lot of really good academic books on cultural mm-hmm. and social and food and culinary history. So I went through them all as many as I could and I picked out the underbelly. I picked out the you know, the strange bits, the weird bits, the bits that I found I found fascinating that showed certain foibles, like the fact that Henry the not Henry Louis Louis the Sixteenth almost bankrupted um, the French court because he had a particularly attractive courtesan who would only sleep with him if he gave her a pineapple. <laughs> but the thing is, when you go back to that era of time in Versailles to grow a pineapple, first you had to build a glass house. Glass was very expensive. You didn't have to get enough uh, uh, fuel to fire it up. It, in today's terms, each pineapple was $10,000. So every time he wanted to go to bed with this woman, he had to produce a pineapple. And so it's, to me, it's about the human foibles. And well, you know, it says on the back, where there is food, there is folly. Mm-hmm. And so for the, for the very first time when we started to realise that food wasn't just a sustenance, but it was a way of expression, expressing ourselves, we've also expressed some of our more wanky behaviour with food. Well, I want to get on to that because I think today we use food for entertainment. Oh, like, totally. You know. Yes, but here's the thing we always have done. We always, have we? we always have done. I Cafes, talk- restaurants, I mean, there's so many of them and they're always, I mean, in Sydney, you can't get into one. Well, um, okay, here's, here's a description that I, that I write about and it's from Athens in about the 4th century BC and it's someone from another part of Greece complaining about Athens food or Athenian food. He goes to this, this dinner party. He said, I'm presented with a large plate with small portions of food on it. He said, there is one piece of roe from a sea urchin. There is one piece of garlic. There's one thing that while I'm eating this, my companion is eating that. While, while I covered this, he's covering that. He goes, why can't I just get a plate of the one thing that I like in, in, a, in, a, in a portion that I find satisfying? That could be used to describe a degustation menu at yes. any of Sydney or Melbourne's fancier or any of Australia's fancier restaurants right now. I don't do degustation. I don't get it. I don't, I'm not well, interested. I'm not doing well, it. Well, see, that's the thing. The Athenians were doing it 2,000 years ago yeah. and being made fun of for doing it. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't work for me. You know what else doesn't work for me? Foam. <laughs> yes, I am... Um, I actually do mention this. I described um, plates that, that arrive with foam on. Yeah. It looks like a, a discharge I would go to the doctors Yeah, for. but you know what I, I don't understand about foam? I think it's the ultimate um, processed food because, you know, that you, you, you meant to eat some foam and it's meant to taste like chicken, for instance. Well, you know what? Thanks very much. I'll just have the chicken. Yeah, chicken tastes like chicken. Yep. Um, the, the other thing too is, and this started in, in the 80s, let's, let's all put the squeeze bottle down, chefs. I'm sick and tired of my meal looking like a drunken pollock. Um, and and also too, I think it says something about um, penis envy. The way they <laughs> the way they they stack their meals up. Male chefs stack their meals up as high as they can. It's like I've really, not you know, noticed that, but I'm going to look yeah, out for it. it. it I mean, it, yeah, once again, I came across an article from the from the um, late guess late nineteenth century, written by a a guy in, in in London complaining about waiters. That's the same complaints we have now. Yeah. It's like, don't wear too much cologne. Yeah. Um, don't don't hover around the table, but also to don't go missing. 
don't take the wine bottle away. Yeah, and don't start conversation with me because I'm here to talk to the person I'm with. I don't mind that. But also, do, do not be overfriendly. And he talks about, he describes it, and I've had the same thing happen. I've actually had a way to hit on my wife. Wow. Been at a restaurant, and I was like, and she was sort of giggling, and then she went away and she went, he's flirting. And I went, yeah, he's flirting, yeah. honey. I've had a waiter, this is oh, this is many years ago, but I had a waiter who gave me a bowl of soup, and under the soup was his phone number. Oh, that's cheeky. It's cheeky, isn't that's, it? That is very cheeky. Yeah, there you go. But I I want to talk about food now as well because mm-hmm. um, there are extremes. There, are, You know, on Instagram there are a million people sugar-free, you know, wheat-free, yeah. um, you know, foam-free. Uh, the obsession that we have with what we're putting in our body or what we're not, it's uh, it seems to me to be a kind of a crazy on another level. Well, I'm not one to mock... Anyone who says they have an allergy for any food. Sure. I, and I, sure. I, I have friends and I have seen the reaction if, if they've eaten a piece of shellfish and a piece sure. of peanut. Yeah. Um, that's another story, though. That's another story. Yes, but there is so many breakdowns. Mind you, you mentioned Instagram. I remember seeing a, a, a cartoon um, in the New Yorker many years ago and it had restaurant restaurant in the in the 1970s and it was smoking, non-smoking. Restaurant in the 2000s, Instagram, non-Instagram. <laughs> And I have to confess, not that I post it, yes. but I have taken photos of a meal I've had just to remind myself when I get home not to. Yes. Not to. I don't Instagram. No. Um, talk to me about what you cook. What do, you, do you cook at home? Do you have a meal every night? Is, how do you guys run it? I, it's funny because I, I, my wife and I have been together for a very long time. And so it's, it's boiled down into we have various things we're both good Who cooks? It's mixed. Right. Um, Laura does. Uh, Laura does Southeast Asia. Right. She does. Nice. She, she does the stir fries. She does. The, she does the uh, Malaysian curry. She does the laksa. She does the Vietnamese yeah. soups. Wow. Well, I never attempt food like that at home because uh, you can get it out. Yeah. yeah no, no, no. And yeah. um, I like Laura. I do. I, I, I'm very <laughs> do fond like of Laura? her. I'm very yeah. fond of her. I do the pastas. Yeah. I do the pastas. I do. And I, 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 can I give you my favorite pasta, which yeah. I would take. Give me your recipe. It's re- it's the simplest thing in the world, and it's vegetarian, which might surprise some people about me. Yeah, um, you're not vegetarian. No, I'm not. No, no great. No. Thank you. But but um, the new season's asparagus is in. Oh. Finally, slice the, the asparagus. Keep keep the, um, the the top part of the spear whole. Yeah. Oraketa. The little puzzle looks like it is. Yep. Boil some of that up. Yeah. While it's boiling, just fry off the. Um, the asparagus in a mixture of half olive oil, half good butter, yeah. some chilli, some garlic, maybe one anchovy, just one. Yeah. Then some of the pasta water from the rocketta once it's cooked, mix that through with parmesan, pepper and salt and it yeah. is a stunning meal. Can I just say anchovy makes everything taste fantastic? See, you and I are believers of that. Yes. Whereas it's, um, it's the anchovy... I, I, I don't trust people that don't like anchovies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unless, of course, if you're out there and you don't like anchovies, you still like my book. No, obviously, I just, this it's something about when someone's, you know, you know, when you're ordering pizzas and no anchovies, I'm like, okay, you're going in the no anchovies yeah, list. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> That's right. Now, I reckon um, writing a book as extensive as this, Seven Deadly Sins mm-hmm. and One Very Naughty Fruit, I reckon, well, for me, it's it's kind of a study in human behaviour as well. Yes, and that's, that's it. tell me what, has, what surprised you. You know, was there anything that you just walked away thinking, oh, what? Yes. I, I just did not know that. Yeah. Yes, and um, I may warn you this could get icky. Yeah, okay, I'm ready. I thought I'd come across everything in my, my many years on earth until I heard of sploshing. 
don't know. Exactly. In fact, the chapter in the book is called Splashing. I'd never heard of it either. <laughs> Splashing is actually. Do you mind if we pause for a yeah. second? And I find I find the chapter because I, I I think I, I feel I need to quote from this because otherwise people will think I'm making this uh, up. Oh yeah, no, no. I'd like you to read as many bits I, as you like. I, 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 as I said, I'd, I'd never come across this before. Sloshing. Uh, so, so I called. Now, if we were on your radio, would we say anyone who knows about sploshing could call in? <laughs> yes, but they won't. <laughs> but they, they won't because you reckon not, no one will no, know. No, 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 no. Oh, there'll be somebody at a university oh, who no, know what well, sploshing is. Well, you can go online and find out about it. But it's yeah, here we go. Yeah. It's called sploshing. I hadn't heard of it either. Yeah. If you get sexually aroused by sitting or watching someone else sit naked, or sometimes close, but mostly naked, and grind their buttocks and genitals into a perfectly nice cake, then guess what? You're a splosher. How, hang on a second. How does that relate to food? Well, you're sitting in a cake. You're actually watching, oh, you're sitting in a cake. Yeah, if you like to get nude and then get your bum and, the, and, your, and your male bits and your girly bits and you, rub, and you rub it into a cake while your partner watches. Wow, um, wow, okay. And I thought this was... And there's a word for it. It's called sploshing. It's also known as wet and messy play where you can use baked beans and, and various fruits, but if it's a cake, it's called sploshing. But, 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 but I love this one. There was this upmarket boutique, a, a, a patisserie and a cake maker in, in London called um, Bombas and Pa, who threw a, a sploshing party and they thought no one would, would attend. Well, they thought it was half a jack and so it came out of nowhere. Um... And so, I, as part of my research, I came across the work of Mistress Shea, who's a, a, a well-known splasher. I'm reading directly from her. I did not research this myself. Where is she from? She's, she's actually from the States. Oh, right. I thought you were going to say England. But yeah. anyway. Well, <laughs> there's nothing very English about it. Uh, when a freshly chilled cake first touches your behind, you can't help but let off a range of squealish noises. Also, the surprisingly satisfying sound of a bum squashing a meringue is one sound I'd never thought I would come across. Not well one I would ever forget. Um, also, to when, when they f- threw the party, I still have this bit. People on the next day, and they, they took photographs, and yeah. uh, someone wrote back the next day. Uh, oh, I no, they've like, they probably got a Facebook page. Yeah, they probably do. <laughs> I, and this is a quote from someone who went to the splashing party. Yeah. I expected the cake and the jelly to be cold and difficult. Diff- sorry, I'll say that again. <laughs> I expected the cake and jelly to be cold and difficult to clean up my bum. I wasn't expecting the frozen ice cream to be quite so hard. <laughs> right. I must confess, I must be uh, the world's most boring person because, do you know, one of my favourite all-time things is cooking with someone in the kitchen, the harmony of cooking with someone. Oh, no, 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 do no, you? no, 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 no. You don't no. like that? Both Laura and I don't like each other in the kitchen when we're cooking. Wow. See, I no, I, I find that a very attractive thing no. about a person. I mean, unless we're doing a roast, in which case we're off doing... Yes. We, we, we have various jobs for the roast. Yeah. Mine but is, can't one of you be the sous chef? Just chop. Oh, Somebody oh, be in the main course. Oh, yeah, yeah, if we're doing a roast, but if, if she, she's doing what, what she specialises in, if I'm doing the pasta sauces, mind you, if we're doing a roast, I, I, I make the gravy, I do the potatoes. Yeah, wow. She seasons the meat. Mm. Um, yeah, it works. It's been 20, uh, 20 years. Yeah, yeah. I do. I like it. I would find that, for me, probably more attractive than sloshing. Sploshing. Sploshing. Yes. <laughs> I, I don't know what sl- – I, I mentioned sloshing. Could be, could, it could be drunk sploshing. It could be something else. Mikey Robbins, um, can't thank you enough for joining us today. Well, that was an absolute pleasure. Mm. 
If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.